we've got Morgan King from the Mythology of Marksmanship, or at least half of the Mythology of Marksmanship podcast, and Chad Heckler from Miles to Matches, or half of Miles to Matches. Half of Miles, yeah. <laughs> half of Miles. It's, we got a half mile to the match. And we are going to answer some questions. Chad was elected to go first. And we are about to get started with a random, I've randomized some of the questions. Some of these uh, you guys know, some of them you don't, but they're, they're not trick questions. Uh, so, so we'll start with one uh, that you don't, just to show you that they're not really trick questions, but they're things that you should be able to answer pretty quickly. And to get this uh, tested, I'm going to do the shot timer for 90 seconds. Um, you ready, Chad? Sure. I All got right. my correction gonna, timer handy. All right. I'm going to hit this. It's randomized. So I'm going to, I'm going to go three, All two, right. one, stand by. Well, I need the, I need the question. <laughs> Man, I don't even know what I'm talking about. You don't understand the course of fire, but, uh, <laughs> what food and drink do you bring to a match? So I get 90 seconds from right now. I'm going to say, right. Let it rip. Okay. So um, bringing to a match is one thing. Like I, I have a quivery colon. We'll say I, I don't like to eat a lot at a match. So um, before a match, I, I drink like a power drink, like a protein drink, and then a banana. That's usually my, my baseline for breakfast because we're usually up way too early to be able to get a real breakfast. And then I always bring uh, beef jerky. I bring like some mixed nuts, and then I have a ton of water, um, and electrolytes. Those are my main core food and Deets drink nuts. for the, the weekend. Yeah. Deets nuts. That Those are like little beef sausages, right? Hey, this is my turn to talk for it. Um, but yeah, so those are my no coaching those are on my, the clock. Those are, my, <laughs> those are my main food items. I try not to eat a lot, but I also don't like to let myself get, uh, well, I don't want to get dehydrated because you can't come back from that, in my opinion. And then I also don't want to start to feel hungry because once I feel hungry, then I'm distracted. So that's all. I think I only use 60 seconds overachiever all right perfect well let's uh we'll start this over and uh you ready morgan yep all right let's do this Oop, that was the end of your 90 seconds all right stand by so i try to start a couple days in advance on electrolytes because i shoot a lot in very very like hot matches and not hot and humid but like hot dry arizona uh, new mexico utah it gets pretty um pretty dry and hot so i try to get started early so that i can uh not get dehydrated and then i try to drink water consistently throughout the match i don't eat breakfast uh very often it, it most i'm gonna have a little snack before um we get shooting for the day um i and, and most of the time i don't shoot eat the lunch at the match. I sometimes I'll save it and eat it after we're done, but I'm not going to do that. And then, uh, anybody that knows me and has traveled with me or been around me, I really like to find a Texas roadhouse after day one. It's just one of those, man, you can't be Texas, Texas roadhouse. It's like, uh, it's like coming home. Got to have a good old, uh, ribeye. Uh, but other than that, uh, I'm with Chad. I, I probably don't, I don't eat very much. Um, I just don't want the blood to be shunted away from my brain to my gut. So I do not eat much. So just a lot of electrolytes the whole day. 
Yeah, all right. I mean, it sounds like your time's up. So I'll, t- I'll I'll touch on that a little bit too. I try to do that, but not overdo it. My goal is like a, a bottle of water every other stage, and then every other time I will add electrolytes. So yeah. I found that if I drink too much of those electrolytes, it's I don't know, it's not too good for me. It's too much salt. So yeah, I, I, try, I try not to try to mix it up. Yeah, I try not to go like a hundred percent electrolytes for the whole time, but I try to get it. I feel like uh, if I do it the day of, it's not enough. I, I got to start at least yeah. a day or two in advance and then I'm way better off. And it doesn't take much, you know, a couple, three electrolyte packs and make sure I drink plenty of water and then I'm, I'm good to go for the duration of the match. So, and then yeah, just I usually pound one before I go to bed and then one when I get up. Yeah, I, I do. I do like, I would say four, three or four in a day um, during the match mm-hmm. and then try to drink uh, six to eight bottles of water. And I, I like pack, four beers the night before, right? Nope, I don't drink. <laughs> <laughs> I, know. Uh, I know. I know, I'm just messing with you. I use those little, I the one thing I do to, I do bring is that little squeezy thing of those like bio lemonade things or crystallite lemonade so you can put it or fruit punch to put it in your drinks just because like sometimes i feel like you know if you're just trying to pound water it's harder where if you just like put some little uh lemonade or something like that in there crystal light it's way you carry around drink water. you carry around fruit snacks too no just fruit roll-ups or something no 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 i i really don't pack much like I'll, i i will get some nuts Sometimes at a gas yeah. station, but yeah. Yep. All right. Next topic. <laughs> All right. That was good. That was that you were actually five seconds short of the two minute, uh, discussion. So, oh, nice. um, okay. This last weekend I saw a shooter who, who a lot of people know, and I realized that he has superstitions and, and without getting mm-hmm. into that, I'm curious if you guys, uh, have superstitions and, and, and what they are. Um, and, and this isn't really going to help. I'm pointing Chad. Much, but, but are, are do you, you know, I, I think that's cool. I mean, plenty of super high end, everything has, has superstitions. And, uh, and, and I just want to hear, um, Morgan's going to kick this one off. So, uh, let's let this one, uh, stand by. So if you guys know any Cowboys, I don't put my hat on the bed. That's about it. Nothing else. That's I feel great. like, yeah, I mean, the I really don't get too much in in that whole deal. Uh, I I as far as like the, uh, just habits, I always load my mag and my 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 AW mags. You have to load the the first round has to go to the right just because of the way the follower is. But on everything else, the first round goes to the left. So like any regular mags, but that's just consistency sake. Yeah. It's not like a superstition. I don't think that my gun's not going to run if I don't go the other way. Uh, that's about it. I don't really have much in the way of superstitions go. I try. I try not to. Okay, okay. habits. Yeah. Gotcha. 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 I okay. I load my mags. Uh, I load my rounds in my in my ammo case horizontal. I see a lot of people do it vertical, and that's weird to me. But yeah, I I don't know. I, I have processes, but I don't really have like superstitions or like 
random things. Like if somebody like throws me off, I don't really care. And I, I've tried to make myself that way so that uh, I have a hundred percent control of my brain at all times. That's a good answer. All right, Chad, your turn. You ready? You got your own clock. Yep. You, you, yep. you time, yep. time start yourself. All right. Sounds good. All right. So I am definitely not a superstitious person, but I recognize that this is the more I shoot, it's a mental game. Um, it's not a game of, of marksmanship per se. Um, you know, maybe 40, 50% of it is, is marksmanship and you got to have, you know, you got to be a good shot and you got to have a good shooting rifle, but, um, you need to be in a very positive mental state. So, um, other than a few coins that I carry in my pocket that if friends have given me, um, that means something to me that I always have with me, if that's superstition, I, I guess. But, um, other than that, I always try to surround myself with, um, positivity because I feel like if you let your mind go to a negative space and dwell on things that are difficult or, um, you walk up to a stage and somebody says, Oh, this one's terrible. Like everybody's gotten a two on this stage. Like, I don't want to hear that. I don't, I don't. I, I just walk away. Um, so I just try to keep myself surrounded with positivity. And that's why I think Francis and I um, work so well together is that, you know, you can have a bad shot or have a bad stage, but it needs to stay where it was in the last stage and not carry it along with you. So um, that's about it. I know Morgan likes to poke me and ask me what my score is. And that's one of my things that I don't like to share because I don't keep track of it. I mean, I don't care. Um, it doesn't do me any good personally to, add up my misses and be thinking about them because then I'm using less energy thinking about my next shot and the shot that I'm working on right now. So your time Perfect is up. Timing. So Holy smokes. No. Hey, that was uh, good. Hang on one sec. Go uh, I heard you say that you consciously try to not have things that are out of your control. Right. And well, that's good. Yeah. And then Chad, uh, one thing about your guys' podcast and, and I know that, that you're only half of the equation, but you guys really, truly are always positive. Like um, both of you, or, uh, every time I listen to it, I'm like, oh my God, these guys are so nice. And, and everything. <laughs> you really, probably hate it. You no, probably no, hate I, that about it. No, I, I think, uh, but, but it catches me off guard a little bit. Like you guys are so nice to each other. Yeah. And, and, uh, and you say positive and nice things about things that I'm like, wow, that was like way nicer than anything I would have ever said. Uh, or, or the internal dialogue. So anyway, I have noticed that. I just wanted to say that, you know, I don't want to talk about me. I want to say that I have, that stands out with your podcast is how positive it is. So, yeah, uh, I think it's important personally for me. It's important. I'm, I consider myself a type a minus personality. Like I'm very strong willed. I have strong opinions on everything, but if you want to get in my face and, you know, not, be constructive and have good arguments um, and, and be respectful, then I'll just disengage. Like I'll move on to somebody else that has, you know, more respect and wants to have a good back and forth. Is it type a minus personality, like a three like GPA? No. I think I finished with 3.8833. So yes. All right. Hey, that's, that's pretty good. Um, Okay, what, yeah. what else were you gonna say, Morgan? You got you got like ninety seconds, or we? Well, I was seconds. I was just uh, commenting on that. I think I think uh, it's very important to be positive, like in your self talk and everything. I see a lot of people that cannot leave stuff in the past, 
um, they, they have a really tough time. Like Chad's saying, um, like something happens and then they can't, they can't let it go. One of the things that you were talking about, you said, man, I hate it when people come up to us and they're like, I got a two on it. And then they just start talking bad about the stage. All they do is, uh, like Tate said one thing that I really liked, um, down in New Mexico. He said he kept rolling up on a squad that kept saying stuff like that. And he went and he finally looked at him and he was not very nice, but he says, he says, man, you guys suck. You guys need to do not talk to me. <laughs> he's like, he's in, in, in there. They like looked at him and he's like, he's like, yeah, don't, don't say that. Like, I don't want to hear it. Like somebody else is figuring it out right now. He's like, I knew you and somebody and Ruben, you guys were all figuring it out. And these guys, you would roll up on them and they would be like, well, I can't do it. <laughs> and, and, and he's like, I don't want to hear that. It's just too negative. I don't want it in my headspace. And I get, I get that. I also think that, that, uh, I use like my score and where I'm at as fuel to drive me. Like, I was like, Oh, I, I, I need to do this. Well, how do I get it done? And then I sink deeper into my process. And that's why I don't tell you what my score is. (laughs) Yeah, because you don't want to feed my flames, huh? I don't want to feed your fire, bro. I love it. It's burning hot. I I like it. See, John shot with me not too long ago, and he goes, dude, I'll say one thing. You definitely are emotional. Like, because I I shoot with a lot of emotion. (laughs) There's a lot of, like, stuff going on. Like, I'm animated and, and things like that. Uh, and, and I use that, I use my emotions because I'm going to feel emotions. I can either suppress my emotions the best I can and be dull, but then I don't get the hype and the flame and the fire to keep doing stuff. And so I just have learned to use those emotions as, as fuel. And that's a hard thing to do. I think it's really hard. It was tough, tough for me to figure out, but, uh, it, it can be done, I think. Chad, you mentioned um, where the heck are my notes are this that 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 shooting is you know at the level that you guys shoot is largely a mental game, um, but you have to have stuff that that shoots okay. But you know once that's figured out, it's a mental game. So one of these questions here is uh, load and equipment standards. Like what what's good enough? Um, you know the left or right limits. I asked Morgan this before, but but we're going to ask it again. You know like. There's plenty of guys who spend 12 hours a week, you know, working out and perfecting their load, or they spend hundreds of rounds trying to get the one hole standard deviation of one uh, versus working on their marksmanship. So, so in order for you to feel confident in your mental game, uh, what's good enough? I'm ready. All right. Let it rip. All right. So, I know you shoot a lot of factory ammo, um, so you'll probably re- resonate with this. But um, and I'm friends with with Brian Letson, a, a applied ballistics ambassador. The more I know about the natural dispersion of a rifle and a weapon system, and um, the more I know about um, the fundamentals of marksmanship, I am okay with my rifle having um, a half inch group because I understand that. I think all rifles will end up there. All really good rifles will end up there eventually. Um, when I'm doing low development, I shoot for a 0.1 mil target. So yeah, somewhere in that 0.3 inches at a hundred yards. Um, but I haven't seen a dasher or a BR variant that won't do that 
very, very easily. So I don't stress about low development. Um, I, I go to a powder charge that's somewhere two grains below max charge so that I know I'm not going to see pressure. I'm not going to have issues with that. I shoot it on paper um, and make sure that it groups in that 0.3 range most of the time. And then I just, I trust my ballistic solver and I trust my rifle. I build all my own rifles. I, I do my cham- my own chambering. And, and uh, so I just have a lot of confidence in my equipment when I know that I can do work with a half inch rifle. If I can do that and my rifle shoots better than that most of the time, then I have real, really no excuses. You're still writing. Yeah, I'm always writing. All right, Morgan. <laughs> Ready to rumble? Yep. All right. Go. Maybe. So I'm the same thing. I sounds like you're point one mils. So and that's exactly what I told him last time. I like a gun that has an extreme spread underneath under 20, but if it's a little bit more than that, whatever. Most, I mean, about every dasher and 6.5 Creed I've shot will do those things. I mean, once it opens up a little bit and I know it, uh, then I that's about the time I get rid of the barrel just because I like my guns to shoot somewhere in there. But if it opens up and I'm at a match when it opens up, and I, I shoot the zero board and it's a little bit more than what I expected. I don't freak out, you know, like I know I'm going to be just fine. Uh, cause honestly, in all reality, as long as, you know, if I can put 10 shots under, you know, three quarters of an inch, it's probably going to be okay. Like I'll probably be able to shoot the match and be just fine. It, I, I would like it to do about half of that, but you know, if it, if it doesn't, it's not the end of the world, but that's the last match that barrel will go to probably. Awesome. That's, that's all we need to hear about that. Uh, any, uh, yeah, let's, uh, we'll open up this two minutes. I think of, people, I just want to, yeah, if we can open up a little small, yeah, let's do small our discussion special. on that. So I would say that like people, um, I, I always said that I wasn't that good of a prone shooter up until recently because I wasn't, I wasn't focusing on the right things. I wasn't paying attention to what the rifle was telling me. And once I figured that out, I, I realized that, you know, I can shoot better than, um, as good as my rifle's capability now. But what I will say that when you take that and you put it in a positional type scenario, people think that the rifle still shoots as good, should still shoot as good as it does in the prone position, but they're not really paying attention to what it takes to make it happen. And then they make, they make judgments or corrections or assessments based on uh, a group at distance or, or on paper off a position that is not react. It's, it's not the potential of the system. It's the potential of the system plus their capabilities in that position. So I don't know if I'm like dancing around this, but, there's just a, there's a, there's an extreme lack of fundamentals and discipline of addressing the rifle in the same way every time that I see it matches all the time. And there's huge opportunity for improvement. And I look at opportunity for improvement as a good thing. Like the worst thing that can happen is you go to a match and fail and not know why. So I'm trying to tell this to people because I want them to understand 
that there is huge opportunity for them to improve if they just look inward. And <laughs> the best thing I would say is look, video videotape yourself and watch it and then replay it and see if there's things that you don't notice that you're doing. I do that. I did that all the time. Like when I first started just to, and I would send it to people to get other people's opinions on it. I think it's, it's a healthy thing to do. Scrutinize your, your um, fundamentals. I totally agree. People are uh, afraid of uh, criticism and like, and failing because it hurts, right? There's an emotion attached to it. When you finally say, Oh man, I suck at this or I did this wrong. Uh, as soon as you admit that, that's when like you get, there's an emotion and our body tries to um, avoid negative emotions at all costs. That's why I say there's a difference in, in mistakes, but anyways, if you, but if you can tie an emotion to those mistakes, like you're talking about, then you're better off because then you naturally try to avoid those things, but you gotta, you have to first identify them. And that's why I feel like 90% of getting better is just identification of a problem. And like you're saying, being consistent in the way you dress the rifle every time, uh, whether it is prone, I was talking to a guy, uh, yesterday or the day before I was shooting with him and, uh, he was coming into his rifle different in, in like kneeling than he does in prone or he really didn't even have like a process of how he comes into the rifle. And that to me is just like complete, like, why would you do that? Because, uh, 100% you're going to get some sort of shift. It might be like a half of a 10th of a shift from position to position, but it doesn't matter though. If you can minimize that as much as possible, then, then you're, you, you can actually trust your corrections. You can trust these, what you see where a lot of people where sometimes you, you really, you can't. Yeah. They blame it on other things. It's, it's easier to do that. Yeah. The wind got me right there. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Really? Yeah. Okay, so this leads into another one here, uh, actually two other ones, but uh, to preface that, just to kind of, um, my guess is it's going to be a similar answer, but it's not just in shooting, but when people train all sorts of things, it's not unusual for them to get really excited and then do a little bit of all sorts of things, like too many, uh, you know, uh, just to break away from, from shooting. Somebody goes, Oh man, I want to get on an exercise plan. So, you know, I'm going to go for a jog. I'm going to do push up, sit up squats, you know, lunges, bench press, you know, you know, and they, they do like 30 different exercises and they don't get really stronger at any of them because they haven't really focused down on, you know, the, the specifics of what they're trying to accomplish. And, um, and then check those boxes off one at a time. And my guess is you guys don't go, you know, when you go to train, you probably don't go like simulate an entire match all at once. You probably work on specific things, but what are the top three things that you always practice when you go shoot live fire uh, for, for are there three things that you always do? And if not, you know, why and, would you argue that you should be doing more than less um, when you My go first? Train? Yeah, you're first. I'm gonna hit the button. Stand by. So I train um, 
my process, my, my firing process every time. Um, and what I mean by that is, is I, um, try to do one shot drills, um, is what I, and I do them in various positions, but when I show up, I try not to get too carried away. Most of the time I show up and I, and I say, okay, I want to train this position today or these couple of positions. And I want to work on these different skills, but every time I'm going to, I'm going to usually open up my session with that. And, uh, so, and I will just basically walk up, um, pick a target. Most of the time it's my four inch at four ten, and, uh, I throw a bag on a, my timer goes off, throw a bag on it. And I go through my process of, um, as soon as my bolt clears level trigger squeeze and I go through my target acquisition and try to just do everything as far as like in my shot process. Right. And then focus on breaking a perfect trigger pull. And I overemphasize breaking uh, a perfect trigger pull by dragging that out, uh, extending the length of time that it takes to break the trigger and then hold it back and follow through. So I do that every time. And, uh, it's something I feel like everyone should do. Time. Time. All right, Chad. All right, I'm ready. I'll start my own timer. All right, so I don't have the access to the desert slash mountains or whatever the terrain is that Morgan has, um, and he can just drive and shoot public land. So most of my training is with, you know, hundred yards on paper. I do a lot of, of paper drills. I do a lot of, um, testing on paper, but even more, more than that, I dry fire. So I don't know if you've heard, uh, my Facebook page, dry fire training group, everything I did on dry fire training group was, was paramount for me to be successful in the PRS. Like it, it forced me to learn my body positions, my equipment and everything in between. So uh, when I actually get to do live fire training, I, I usually do a drill that Francis came up with, which is, um, it, it alternates between modified prone or, and then on a bag, or sometimes I'll do actual prone and then off the prop on a bag. And what I'm trying to do there is see where my point of impact shift is between shooting a positional stage versus shooting a prone or a modified prone. And I like to make sure that my point of impact is the same. And then I reserve the last part of my training session to go through stages that I have uh, opportunity for improvement on, we'll say. So I'll always take away a couple of stages from matches that I felt like I could have done better on. And I try to recreate those stages with similar props that I may have laying around the house. So that's pretty much what I stick with for my training. Time. Time. A week. All right. Any, any any other things to say or talk about with regards to that? I wish I had time to train more, but I have two jobs. Yeah, me too. Like <laughs> I don't, I don't, people think I, I shoot like tons of rounds, but I really, I, I'm, I don't shoot that many rounds. I'm sure, uh, Chad probably can appreciate this, but you have to figure out how to practice to maximize what you have available, whether it's like Chad, he's, he dry fires and uses paper at a hundred. That's great. It still makes you a good shooter. I'm just more lazy. I show up and I have a one MOA plate, um, at the place I shoot. 
and so it, it makes that easy because uh if i can keep them on that then i know i'm not having much of a shift it's well with it's within a minute you know essentially uh i have done a lot of paperwork in the past but uh i and i probably will i've got a couple of things i want to do but anyways i've had to figure out how to get my 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 training to where if i show up and i only got 20 rounds and i only got an hour i can i can do it and accomplish what i need to accomplish where in the past i used to shoot like 60 70 rounds when i showed up but i did and then I, I couldn't do that very often because it's not sustainable. Yeah. I mean, this may be a little bit off topic, but people always ask me all the time, like, how did you, how do you able to read the wind or what is your wind strategy or all this stuff? I'm like, well, if I told you that I never shoot long range, except I'm in a match, then that, I guess that just tells you that I've shot a lot of matches and that's how I've got the experience. Like I found that I really, I thrive under pressure. Like, I really, I, I'm not good at training because there is no pressure. So when I go to a match, I'm more focused. The timing and the, the pressure of the time forces me to pay more attention. The intensity of the situation forces me to pay more attention to the wind and all the different environmental um, things that are going on. So um, I literally do not train long range at all. Like I will, sh I won't shoot 100 yards unless I'm in a match or I'm on true, I'm on true up or, you know, train up day, right? know before a match on site i will shoot out to distance but really all i'm doing is checking my data which i already know runs right anyway uh uh i'm i'm similar on that like as far as like yeah i, I feel like i'm better um under pressure in that because i you know you show up and you shoot the, uh a couple of different plates you know at one deal it's about like shooting at 100 yards because you get the wind one time and it's over yeah Right. So, I mean, you're not, it's hard to replicate a match scenario, but you're living proof of the fact that like the wind is not as important as people think. Uh, no, because, it's, it's math. Yeah. yeah it's probability. It's, it, yeah. It's, it's, it, it's more mental strategies to handle the wind. And then on top of that, like if you're, if you generally speaking, the guy that makes the, the highest percentage of perfect trigger pulls, um, those guys finish at the top, you know, and then it comes down to little decisions maybe that they make from there. Now, is there exceptions to that rule? Yeah. We know a couple of those exceptions that maybe don't ever, I mean, they always do that, you know? Yeah. So, you know, but I'm not, so I'm not saying that that's always the case, but it's, it's definitely, um, you're way better off if you're able to consistently, um, take a perfect trigger pull and be steady. That's, that's 90% of this. And then a little bit of the wind can make or break you, but that's just more learning. Yeah. We're on different sides of the, we're on different sides of the planet when it comes to wind. So there is yeah, no denying like if, if that, you that, you, here, that you have way more experience than I do. If you come out here, wind yeah. is a bigger factor, no doubt. Like it really is, but it's not as big as what people think. Like uh, you come out here and shoot and say you got a 15 mile hour full value or 20, like you, let's be honest, you really don't see a 20 mile an hour crosswind all that much. You might see a 12 to 15 quite a bit, but a 12 to 15 is pretty significant. And the ability to read that and make those big, because now we're talking big corrections where you show up and you might actually miss a plate by half a mil, you know, 
And that just blows people's mind a lot. You know, you go up there and you're like, I think it's six tenths and it's, and it's 1.1. And you're like, wow, I was wrong. Uh, but that doesn't happen very often that you're that far off happens from time to time. But, and those are the things where if you're able to just make that correction mindlessly, right. Just mindlessly, just make that correction. Like who cares uh, how much it is and how far from where your crosshair is. If you just walk up to the stage, if you train your brain just to be a robot of just like, I'm going to make a perfect trigger pull, watch how the bullet goes. And, and if you were able, I would, I would argue that if you're able to walk up to a stage and you know, you can just gauge direction and you just went, maybe it feels like a lot. So I'm going to put a little bit of a gap out to one side of the plate, pull the trigger and then miss. But then you're able to put your reticle back to where it should be. Then, then make a, um, the full correction, put it in the middle of the plate and then just make corrections all day long. You're still going to win matches. If you can make perfect trigger pulls, because half the time that wind call that I just said, will hit the plate. And then all the rest of the times it doesn't hit the plate. You're going to correct to center. And every time you're off, basically you're going to shoot 92 to 96, 7%, some, some ungodly number. Um, and it's amazing. And you didn't even call the win that great that day. Like you just did like, well, maybe this and shot, you know what I mean? And half the time it worked. A hundred percent agree with you. I don't want to hijack this, uh, the whole thing Sorry, we got going here, but, but the only other so thing long. we have to add, the only other thing we have to add is natural point of aim. If you have natural point of aim and a good yeah. trigger pull, then you can win. Yeah. Natural point of aim. I, I guess I say that like, I definitely work on it. Cause after me and you talked the other day about natural point of aim, I definitely went out and I noticed like, I definitely do that. Cause I was just, I just was given a guy a talk about this the other day, you know, cause I feel like that's why a lot of people don't make just not that obviously now we're going into it, but whatever. Uh, uh, Sorry, Chris. Yeah. So, <laughs> uh, so, so I know that these people uh, like they, I think a lot of times why people could do the squeeze, squeeze now thing is because of their natural point of aim being off. And how I know this is, and, it, and it's and it's uh, exacerbated by wobbly plates, and and what I mean by that is is like uh, you and I. It sounds like we're very similar in the fact that we set things up and get our body, our bag, everything, our gun to where when you're wobbling, that whole wobble when your body relaxes, that whole wobble zone is in the direct center where you want that bullet to go. Well, what I find is some people. They get close and then they're like, uh, and they muscle it. And then they just, and then they, and then they go squeezy, boom. And, and try to try to time it to go to where they want instead of centering the wobble over, over their point of aim and then just squeezing through it until it goes boom. And I'm sure it happens. I can't remember a time that wasn't like offhand or, you know, something like that where my wobble was more than like, a tenth or half a tenth or yeah but that's a rarity for most for i would say for a lot of years they don't know how to get there yeah so i'm I'm just we've got three people right here that are telling you that that's that's our plan and that's how we execute so it is possible so i think a, a good drill of your natural point of aim is like i have this prop um at my my family's ground that is like so wobbly it's ridiculous and so i shoot this half mil plate and if you do not center up your natural point of aim and you're wobbling the full amount of the plate. And so if you don't center up your natural point of aim, you will not hit the plate because 
like I, I know it, like this is how I identified, um, this is Garrett I was talking to and Garrett was, he was wobbling and he would get close and then try to time the break to be on the plate. And I'm like, well, that's dumb because that means that, that just reduces the likelihood that you're even going to hit it. You know, like you you want to center your natural point of aim to where your whole wobble is in the middle of that plate. And then you just squeeze through it, squeeze through it. You, yeah. And then you're not, and then you're not missing where, and, and so it's really easy. Like when, like what you're saying, Chris, where your wobble is so little and yes, it, it, it becomes, uh, diminishing returns but still you're going to get flyers if you don't do it yeah for sure for sure but yeah i mean you guys and everybody listening this already knows how much i talked about shooting paper and keeping track of that stuff <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah that's yeah. what you do you know with your um before we go on and, and i don't i don't want to make it about me but the um you know, I, I shot a week uh, gas gun. I, I shot a match this weekend, but I shot my gas gun, my two two three, because because I like shooting gas guns. Um, they don't they don't compete very well after six hundred, just because ballistics and and speed, um, mostly speed, because people are shooting twenty two is great at thirty two hundred feet per second, but my gasser is like twenty seven fifty. Um, so I got follow-up shots. So, so I, I mentioned that, that the bolt gunners, they got one shot, but I got, I got follow-up shots. I don't think I missed any targets inside of 600 making my initial calls. But after that, um, you know, there, there's that chance of, of like, okay, the wind's stronger, it's farther, and being able to see where it is and make a correction and, and, and follow it up with an impact. Um, being able to do that, I, I actually had a 96% uh, you know, hit rate on targets. The only ones I missed were, were far, but, but, but because I was able to follow up and, and, and hit, you know, 96% of the targets, uh, got engaged. And we're talking about like 800 to 1366 shooting a AR 15, um, just from, from doing those kind of corrections. So I, I think you're right. Like, um, you don't have time to say, Oh wow, that's a 13 and a half mile an hour. You just say, you know, there's where it hit. Here's where it needs to go. Bang. And, and then you carry that. And one thing that I've been practicing and I don't even know, I haven't done the math or looked at it, but, but I think of the percentage of the distance after I make my initial wind call, if I say, okay, that because I'm in the field, I'm not, I'm a matchbook and I don't have it written down very often. Most of the time it's like, okay, on my arm board, I write, okay, you know, I got a, I got a 500 yard target and I got an 800 yard target. I, I forget. I, 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 I figure out the, um, the percentage of the distance it was, and then carry that percentage to the next target. Um, and I might add, a, you know, a 10th for spin drift, or I might add a 10th because I think there's going to be more wind or something like that. But I've been trying to come up with a really rapid way of saying, okay, well, if it's 400 yards and, you know, I held eight tenths, that's double the distance. And now when I go to seven, I'm going to go to 1.4 and I might hold 1.5 or, you know, something like that, depending on spin drift or something like that as, as the carryover uh, because I don't have a other information but i've been trying to figure out on the clock a quick way to calculate the percentage of my hold based on the distance and uh, i haven't kind of come to terms with that but but it worked pretty well this last weekend um because you have to be able to do everything as fast as you can on the fly and uh now now we didn't have huge angle changes and that would be an issue that you'd have to factor in but, but usually with those big huge angle changes like at an nrl or prs match you can measure those in advance and then 
um, well, like Morgan and I talked about one stage where, where we were shooting like, uh, you know, 160 degrees or something like that. If, if you can't measure those angles, it's going to be really hard to carry a wind hold uh, across 160 degrees and, and expect to hit. But, um, but let's uh, not get, because we've basically completely derailed everything here. Uh, let's go back to uh, stability. Uh, where do you guys put your support hand? Do you, do you put it on the scope rings, on the scope, on the bag, on your shoulder, on your bipod, on on the cattle guard? Uh, you know, where, where do you put your support support hand? Chad, you get to go first. All right. Hit it. All right. So I I have tried both methods, or you know, both methods that you see out there on top of the scope or or with your arm straight out on the side of the chassis. I think Morgan and I both run MPA chassis. Well, actually, I'm sure of it. Um, I'm running the BA comp, and I've got the gray ops weight kits on the front, and I use a specific spot on the gray ops um, uh, weight, and I've got a little piece of grip tape there so that my thumb registers on that every single time. And the reason I like my arm to be on the side of the chassis is because I've got full bone support of my left arm when it's fully extended. I don't have any muscle tension trying to clamp down on top of the optic. Um, but another thing is you're farther away from that balance point or that pivot point of the rifle when you have your arm farther forward. So it takes less pressure to hold the rifle down than it does if you have your um, hand clamping right over top of that pivot point. So for me, it's all about um, being very relaxed behind the rifle. Um, one other thing I will use my left arm for when it's in the straight position is I will use it to hold my, myself away from the prop. And then I can take my shoulder into the rifle as much as I want. And my default is um, get the rifle on target in its natural point of aim, uh, clamp to the bag. And then I bring my shoulder into the rifle until I see the wobble increase just slightly. And then I back it off from that. And that's kind of my default of where I'm, um, where I'm holding that, uh, that rifle up against the, on my shoulder there. We can't count that last point. It was after the beat. <laughs> I was just rambling anyway. No, that's, that's good stuff. All right, Morgan, you ready? Yep. I, I just put my hand up beside the barrel. I clamp down, put a finger and a thumb on beside the barrel, grab my bag. Away we go. Keep my hand straight. Uh, I feel like, like Chad says, takes less pressure to hold the barrel down, hold the muzzle down so you can see more. Uh, there may be a recent argument in saying it might send some rounds off to the left or the right, but I don't think that's, uh, from what I've noticed, that's not so much a thing. Um, yeah, I've tried over top of the bell. Don't like it. I do not like it. I just feel like a little pressure on the scope. That's not a good idea, but what do I know? Right. If your time's up, we can start the discussion because most people have like a Picatinny rail attachment on top. So they're not actually touching the scope. So that's, I agree with most you. People you don't want to clamp on the but scope. I, but I do. Yes, most people do. But I, I, I see more people though that don't. I have a rail on there just for such an occasion that I have a wild hair and one okay. hand up there. But I see people that, that don't, but I'm the same way. But then my, th my thoughts are, maybe I'm wrong, but you're the you've got this lever that goes out and now you're putting all yeah. this pressure on the front side of that ring. Right. So 
maybe you're pinching the scope even worse than it is just to put your hand on the bell. Man, I doubt that. Um, but the, I think, whoa, <laughs> I think I have more uh, concern about my arm being in a position with the muscles tense because that's usually no, what their process too. is when they're, when they're grabbing on the scope. Yeah, they're muscle I don't up. like that muscle tension. Like when my arm is out straight, yeah, when my arm is out straight, all I'm doing is kind of trying to marry the rifle to the bag slightly. I'm not even clamping crazy. Like I'm super happy if that rifle just slides straight back in the bag just a little bit. Like I think yeah. you say it best. Like you just want to catch the rifle. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not trying to like um, stop it in its tracks, prevent it from moving. Like I want it to slide back straight and I want to catch it. Yeah, I think some of those like the uh, the clutch thing and stuff like uh I don't have too much about it but I feel like having it there and it coming back in in my mind if it hits you it's that's when things can go off a little bit and I'm just I like you say I'm just trying to use that I feel like my between my face pushing down on the stock and my hand out here I'm just trying to use that over the balance point uh, and then just catch the gun when it goes off. And I'm using the way I um, build a rifle to shoulder connection to manage a recoil. That's that's how I manage a recoil. I don't manage a recoil up here with my hand. Well, there's no denying that you are not free recoiling the rifle because you're shooting a 6.5 Creed with 153 and a half or 156. So if anybody wants to argue that you know you're saying catching the rifle because there's a gap between your shoulder and the rifle negative no true. gap no gap yep <laughs> i 100 percent am like uh i have my my butt and my much like maybe like one or two yep. pounds just enough to like like kind of like way less than shaking hands with somebody so my but my the butt of my rifle and my face the way it marries up it's there's like a wedge there you're not getting that thing out of there. So if my gun moves, it moves me with it. So I try to set my body up to catch the gun. Gotcha. Sick. All right. You kind of blipped out there for a sec. Okay. Let's, uh, let's change the subject just for a second. Uh, what have you broke at a match? What, what equipment has broke for you at a match? Scopes. <laughs> okay. Uh oh. That was our backup time. Uh, uh we don't Wait, is this one we want to do separate? We want to time this one or no? Well ideally we we just time everything unless we go over Okay, let's time it. Let's do it. Let's time it. All right. Yeah, let's hit it. Uh, go. Scopes. What have you broken at a match? Scopes. I've broken uh yeah. That's you mainly to, the main You don't have to name the brands, but just like what what, no, what stuff have you broken? Uh, <laughs> Just, just, no, just curious. Like I broke a lot of shit, so I was just curious what you guys have broke. I, that's about the main thing that I've really broke. I, I've had a couple mags not work, and I meant call them broke, but that's about it. I've had barrels go down on me, but the main thing that I've actually broke is a scope. Um, everything else I've held up pretty good. I've Never had a trigger mags. go out. Oh, sorry. Yeah. I had triggers go down. Several of them. Yep. Yep. Had that. Is there anything else that you can think of? You tell me. I know, but I mean, I don't think there's really anything else that's, that's really I've busted. Broke, I've like literally broken a bipod, a tripod. I haven't done that. I haven't go. done that. Um, 
I'm like hijacking your thing. I've had triggers go down. Um, That's you can only- take my time. Yeah, because I don't know what the hell. Have you yeah, even broken anything, Chad? <laughs> Have you even broke anything, Chad? All right, I'm ready to go. All I right? broke two chains. That's it. I'm gonna start okay, my timer. All right, all right. I haven't had anything break on me. Um, so I I am like hugely obsessive about weapons maintenance and also oh and also protecting um, Excalibur, which is my rifle. Um, like I cover my rifle between every stage. Um, I make sure that nobody touches it when there's those like hayride type scenarios. I'm holding my rifle. I don't throw it. Oh, nice sword. I, I, uh, I don't throw it in the back of a caliber. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Too bad people can't see the video because Morgan has a gigantic sword right now that he won <laughs> at the King and Cold Canyon. So um, I don't mean to hijack your deal. <laughs> you got extra time now. So I have never broken anything. Um, I have had one trigger freeze on me. It literally froze because it was like 10 I've degrees out. Yeah. And uh, but once I got it happened. running, yeah, he watched it. Um, it I took it like a man. And then um, I have had one tripod fall over in the wind and it actually fell over on top of Aaron Hip's rifle and it broke my, one of the legs of my tripod. But that's not really like a gear issue. It was at that fouled bore uh, precision the finale like two years ago where it was sleeting sideways and blowing 25 miles an hour and it blew over on the last stage so i haven't really had any gear issues but i'm telling you i am obsessive about the gear i choose i'm not trying to brag about that but like i, I choose things carefully and then i maintain it yeah that's a that's a good point like i feel um, like I think my maintenance is morgan huge. and i are very similar with that yeah. yep yeah, well, I mean, yeah, it I mean shows we're, in we're the taking stuff equipment. down, stripping it down, cleaning the stuff. Yep. Yeah, yep. wait, wait. Just before we go on, just like between matches, let's say you had a match last weekend, you have a match next weekend or in two weeks. Like, how far down do you pull apart your rifles? The whole way. Morgan, you can start. It's 90 seconds. 90 seconds. Go. All right, go. Uh, the entire way. Like, I, I tried to break it down. Like, what do you uh, mean, the entire I, way? Well, like, I break it all the way down to nothing. Like, like what? Not, not. I won't pull the barrel off, but I'll, Fire. I'll, I'll pull everything off. I leave. I um. I'll take it out of the chassis. Try to clean the trigger. Uh. I want to. I clean the barrel. Um, you pull the trigger out of the action. Yeah, because I want to pull it apart and clean it. Oh, do you have a Bix and Andy, or something like that? Mm-hmm. Bix and Andy, baby. Gotcha. But and I, I like them because you can do that, and then. Um, because I've had some other triggers go down and I feel like the, if I just, as long as I keep these clean, I'm good. I try to clean them about every other match. And so, uh, if I, if like, if it's not within there, that's why I pull them apart and I try to clean the barrel. And then I, I go through every, every screw on like the, the scope and all that and the torque in the action, because then I, if I retorque everything that I know that's not going to come undone. I'll check the brake, check everything as far as that goes, so that then everything's tight. Because I back I out all the screws before you back. Definitely them back don't in. back. I don't back them out because so what I do is I just put it back on and check them because I don't. I don't feel like like I ne- like once I do my set my scope rings most of the time. Uh, that's the only time I set them. I just recheck them. All right, your turn, Chad. All right, so my my procedure is the same whether I'm going to a one-day match or a two-day match or a practice session. So 
I will, um, I'll torque everything. Um, I strip my barrel down to barrel, uh, bare metal. So I, I use uh, wipeout patch out and I go, I know that doesn't get all the copper out, but it gets a lot of it. So I go down to what I feel is a, a clean, like zero baseline condition. Um, I will take a, I don't take my barrel to action out of the, the chassis, but I take my bolt out. I'm cleaning the lug recesses and all that, that kind of stuff. Um, I'm torquing every screw on the rifle and all of my weights and every screw on the chassis. Um, my, I use the area 419 Maverick. So I'm taking that off, making sure that's all clean while I'm doing the cleaning process. So I just basically take it down to what I feel is the things that could come loose and then recheck everything. I do not loosen the screws and retorque them. I just use a fix of sticks and torque them. I know there's some debate on, um, how much you should torque and whether you should do that. I just, I've never had a problem. So I keep doing it. And that's awesome. That was a good little sidetrack there. Okay. So, uh, to play onto that, uh, what backup equipment do you always bring with you just in case? You could, you could start Chad. Okay. So I always have a trigger with me. Uh, I always have an extra bolt and those are the two biggest things that I feel like they could be an issue and they're a super quick fix. If you do have an issue, um, I also, uh, thanks to Morgan, right on my turret. Um, so I have an extra turret for my scope in case I have an issue with that and I need to throw that on there. Um, other than that, I just, I have an, um, a plethora of extra bipods. Like I am a freak about <laughs> bipods. I feel, <laughs> stop laughing at me. Um, I feel like Acutech bipods are the most solid platform on the planet and they're, there is like so many different scenarios you could come across that I want to have one for every scenario. So, um, I'm obsessive about bipods, like between bags and bipods, like what else is there? Like those two things you can win a match, like, um, with the perfect understanding of the tools and then the perfect execution of the tools. So those are my, um, those are the most important things I have in my bag. I mean, I've got other things to repair and I always carry a cleaning rod, stuff like that. Um, I have a cleaning kit in case I need to get in there and get something out. It's saved, it's saved other people more than it saved me, but I, I like feeling like the hero of the day. I love helping people out. So if that happens, then I'm, I'm happy to do it. That's all I got. All right, Morgan. So I have been saying with Chad, I got, um, I have a backup trigger. I got a back, I got a spare bolt. Um, I have actually I have two spare triggers. Just, I don't know why. Cause I have like one that's the same as the get one in my gun. And then one that's like bomb proof. And then I've got, uh, I have a, a cleaning kit that it all goes in and I've got like hammer or like punches and stuff. And I've been going to start bringing a three to 18, like in a sock in like my stuff, not, not just been mainly for other people, honestly, like a three to 18 with like a P if they ever made one with a PR two, that's what I'd bring. But since they don't make it in a PR two with a TMR, I know PR1. They, there's one. No, you don't want a PR one. They don't. Have you seen the PR one? Yeah. Anyway, different, different day or a different, <laughs> different topic. But anyway, so yeah. Uh, 
yeah, that's that's what I got. I don't think I have. Oh, I I, ca- I carry fix it sticks just so that I can. I basically have all the tools to break down everything in my gun, put it all back together, and uh, I have basically and all the little spare little parts in the bolt and all that stuff. I have basically a spare of everything in the action and bolt. Um. So yeah. Whoa. Time. Time. Um, Chad, we've never shot together, but you play music while you're shooting, like, yeah. like auto, audible to other people. Yeah. Like, um, like so, so, so. Dun, 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 dun. I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm gonna wrap this into focus because uh, everybody does different things to focus, and my guess is that has something to do with your mental state. So even though we've talked about mental states, uh, let, let's let's do one on like. Um, your ability to focus on a stage um, mm-hmm. and, and what you do to practice that and what you do to kind of stay in the zone. And even though I know that music's part of that, I just wanted you to have a chance to, to talk about how, how that helps you. Um, Cause like I've, yep. I've never heard anybody else play music. Um, so that's pretty awesome. I think, but uh, let's go uh, start your clock. All right. So, it started on the way to the finale last year, or I think it was last year. Uh, I put out this Facebook message and I was like, I want to play songs while I'm shooting um, because, uh, you know, I'm not shooting with people I know and I want to stay in the zone. And people contributed like, I think like nine hours worth of songs. So I'm like, well, this is awesome. I need to put this song, the set list together. And then as I was listening to it at the finale, it was like making me smile because it felt like all these people were cheering me on. It was super cool that I had like, when I, when their song popped up, I was thinking about, you know, Missy Wheeler and, you know, my buddies from Wisconsin and then the Michigan guys. So that was one aspect of it, but I've always been in bands over the years and I feel like there's something in my DNA that resonates with, and it calms me. So I guess whatever calms you down is very important. I need to be able to ramp up during the stage and execute but then I need to calm back down and reserve that energy for the next stage. So I think it helped me a ton at the AG cup because we weren't able to talk to other competitors. And, you know, this is a very social sport and we're all friends and we like to cheer each other on, uh, on and have, you know, conversations about the stages and stuff. But at the AG cup, like without all that, the music was like my, my link to keep me focused and engaged. And I really think it's a big part of, of keeping my, uh, mental focus throughout the whole weekend. I mean, it's hard to stay engaged for three days straight. It's it's intense. All right, Morgan. Yeah, I don't listen to music. <laughs> what do you do to stay? What do you do to stay in the zone? I. Uh, I let my emotions guide me. No, I, I use, <laughs> I use my, pro, I use my process. I basically, cause I'm like severely ADHD. So I'm like, I like, uh, I have to have something that like just step-by-step step takes me through what do I need to get done? So when I start talking, cause I, inevit- my jaw will flap all day long, I, but I got to have something to like, to fall back on that. I, if I go through these things and I have to be very consistent in, in doing that, you know, like when I get done from the States, go to my backpack, write down my score, load my mag and then, okay. And then I got to go through my little process of, I think dope rifle scope wind 
and I just go through, okay, get my dope, make sure my rifle and my gear is ready, check all the turrets on my scope. Then I just go back and look at the wind. And then and if I do all that stuff, then it keeps me just like locked in here. And every time, like I start thinking I'm, if I, if I think about like where I need to be or what I need to get done, it just makes me just like, I just think, what do I got to do to do that? And then I, and I just force myself to just, just go deeper into going and making sure that I, that I'm checking every little tiny thing off that I, that I need to get done. Yeah. I think, um, one thing you said there is like your post stage check or checklist or some of the things you're doing after the stage. I think it's maybe a topic for a different discussion, but I have people ask me all the time, like, what is your pre-stage checklist? What is your during the stage or your pre-fire checklist? And then what is your post-stage checklist? And I'm like, well, that's kind of like very shooter specific. I mean, there's certain bullet points you need to hit, right? I mean, you just talked about loading your mag, writing down your score. Like there's certain check boxes that need to be checked, but that's very specific to your shooter ability, your shooter mindset. And I always tell people like, if you take the time to create what you think it should be and email it to me, I will email you mine. I, but I want you to think about it first. Like the process of solidifying and cementing this into your brain is you have to think about it for yourself. You can't just take somebody else's process and expect it to become your own. Like it's for me, it's the rehearsal. It's the thought process. It's coming up with the order of operations that makes this something that is efficient for you. That is like everything. It's not just a checklist. It's you created that checklist. So yeah. I want to just throw that out there. I feel like people have asked me that all the time and I'm like, I'm willing to share it, but it's not going to be as big of a benefit as if you create your own. Yeah. I like that. I like that answer. I'm going to start telling that to you. But then, but you know what happens is people just don't do it. I've noticed that. I know, but, but then, but then you find out, you find out who wants to get better and who doesn't. I know, I know. And, but I end up telling people mine or whatever. And I know like people are just like, Oh, that's stupid. I'm like, well, all of them are going to sound stupid. Like, it doesn't matter what it is. Uh, like mine, dope rifle scope wind. Like, okay. I just say that cause it, it helps, it helps me and brings me back. And I feel like they're a hundred percent of mine is pre pre-stage. The only thing it's post is I write down my score. Right. But everything else has to be done before a stage like this post stage thing. Well, I mean, what, what are we doing as we waste well, post, time? Like post, like post stage. What, what the frick listen, like rounds listen. are already gone. Listen, post stage is the, the, my mindset and you know it, I'm going to say it, the match has already started. So yeah. when the, the, the other stage ends, yeah, and the that's when stage. I start the, 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 the next stage. So I, before I leave the stage I'm on, I already have my dope and everything written for the next stage within reason. Obviously there are certain things in certain scenarios you can't because do of that. the direction of fire and the wind, yeah. but I make everything ready so that when I get there, I can focus on the targets. I can find them. I can come up with a plan and then I can revise my plan. Okay. I do the same thing, but I do sectors, right? So I already have the same thing done, right? Like I'll put them in. I, I use sectors or, or if I, or if I'm not using sectors, I just put them all on my target car before I leave or as I'm walking to the next stage, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. But sectors, yeah, but saying, I, I already have, have, like, I already have all the stages in my, in my, uh, Kestrel before I, before I start shooting the day for the day. Right. So right. No, I agree. I agree with that. I'm talking like my physical card and my turrets label and everything. It's like, 
My mindset no. walking up to the next stage is that my, so I, I just look that. at wind and targets. So I, I, I think about that. So well, that's like, why you win. No, that is not why I win because, because it doesn't, it doesn't matter. We do similar thing. Like, right. Like I'm like trying to get it all done. And then I'm going through that dope rifle scope wind. Like as I'm walking up to my gun, like I, I do it multiple times. I think that that thing through my brain. So it makes forces me to go through no, the, I agree. Entire, I do that too. the entire thing from top to bottom. Um, so like in right before I, we, right before, before they say shooter ready, I go through that whole thing again. So like, like a part of that is my, when I think scope, like my caps, like, like my turrets and my caps. Right. And, uh, I just, all these things like my parallax, no power, caps. You don't need to open adapter. your caps if you don't have them. Yeah, I know. But it, it, if you ever shoot where there's where the, you know, <laughs> like if you shoot where you're from, whatever, I would never use caps either, but when you shoot where I'm from, when the freaking wind's blowing all the time and there's dust. Yeah. You freaking use caps, mother effer. You use caps, but well, I just, I just, <laughs> I just cover my whole rifle, bro. Well, I do that too. I, so I, I use caps and then you got I a rifle cap. I have a rifle. Uh, I do. Like, it's a rifle cap. Yeah. I mean, so, but I, I no, guess it's the, interesting the, though. Like these the are point the, is, the points that it's all in my mind. Like you say, it's all a pre-stage thing. Like, whether I'm starting the day off, yeah. whether I'm start, starting there, like, because as soon as I let a round go, I cannot take that round back and do anything. Analysis is for the, after the match. If you're trying to analyze what happened on the last yeah. stage before the next stage, you're wasting time. It, it does you no good there. The only time you analyze is when the match is over. And then you analyze to, to, to isolate what you need to improve upon. Like you need to figure out what your issues were. Maybe that's I at the end of the day in between two days, because you have a little bit of time to identify like, Oh man, I did this or I did this and I did this and I need to not do that or whatever. I need to change these things going into the next day. That's okay. But, but you don't do that until it's over. All right. So this is going to go right into what? the next question here is give Chad two seconds. I think he's got something. No, I know he no, does. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. Well, I know see, you that's not the, the, I'm, I'm, I'm curious about your uh, pre-stage like or pre-match research. Like how much pre-match, like do you look at websites? Do you look at weather reports? Do you look at um, maps of shooting ranges? Do you take pictures of props? Like how, how intense is your pre-match homework? Do you watch videos of old competitions there? Um, how much work, you know, outside of your shooting is done to research where you're going it, the, and how much does that influence um you know Sorry. How, how, Sorry. your pre your pre-match stuff if, if that makes sense it's hard to who's uh, first uh, you are morgan sweet morgan's <laughs> first yeah all right go uh, go so say go? uh I use some like apps or websites or whatever. And I try to look at like wind speed and direction. Um, a lot of times if I'm East of the Mississippi, I really don't care about it unless I'm going to war. But, uh, other than that, I, I still will look, but I mean, it's not a huge deal. Uh, but, uh, it, it really just gives me an idea of like, okay, I ought to be looking for this direction and I ought to be looking for a, uh, an average velocity of somewhere around here helps if I'm like protected or something like that. And I can get like, a, okay, this is the, 
this is going to be the main um, velocity I ought to be thinking about. But um, now I'm not, I'm not too like, I'm not looking for aerial shots of the course of fire or anything like that, but I will just take note. I want to take note of like velocity and stuff like that. And maybe know what the weather is going to look like as far as like planning clothing and stuff like that. But um, definitely the night before morning of type deal, I'll, I'll look, I, I have some different, you can go on and look at the radar. It'll show you direction and speed and stuff, a particular, and it'll show it um, live to where you're at. Nice. You know, uh, before your time runs out, uh, in Idaho, where Seth's range with those big, huge rocks, um, that was one time where I thought, gosh, you know, taking my wind speed and direction from my last stage and extrapolating it because where, where we were staged and where we were shooting often, you could feel zero wind. And, and yet when I you shoot, apps. you'd be like, Holy crap, it's 10 miles an hour out there. And you're literally, there's no wind anywhere around you. And, and you have to carry that information somehow. And, um, I used that, apps. Yeah. That, 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 that's cool. All right. I use, uh, my, I use the weather the weather nice. apps or whatever yeah but but that that is hard right i mean and, yeah. and, and sometimes you're like you're shooting you're like well man you know there was zero wind here but there's 10 miles an hour somewhere out there and yeah. um all right so let's go chad all right so it it kind of depends on whether i've been to the range before obviously or not um if i have not been to the range before i try to look at google earth or some other map that gives me topography. Um, if I haven't been there before, usually it's like out western, you know, western ranges, and I'm trying to see if there's if there's an aerial view of the range, if it's an established range, and I can kind of tell the direction of fire and what the the topography looks like. Um, and then, regardless of whether I've been there before, I'm going to look at like windy.com, and I'm going to look and see what the winds are going to be doing for that weekend. I mean, even before that, I'm looking at the weather channel, whatever the apps you have, weather bug or whatever, to try to see if there's, um, if it's going to be cold or rainy or whatever. Um, regardless of weather, I always bring enough to keep me warm uh, for like 20 degrees. And then, you know, I, I, bring her, I bring rain gear and stuff like that. Like I always have rain gear with me. Um, I always have extra equipment for rain purposes and then um other than that i mean i'm just trying to do research if i know anybody that's been to a match before that i haven't been to i'm gonna see if you know i i can get some intel from them um old matchbooks or stuff like that if it's a match that i've been to then i'm gonna have my old matchbooks i'm gonna be researching those in the van with francis on the way down there and we're usually talking about stages sounds like my time's up Okay, so what I think is a lot harder? What? Well, go ahead. We got we got two minutes. I was going to say I think a lot of these ranges, um, you know, if you've been to them one time, there's going to be some stage designs that are slightly different, but that obviously the terrain doesn't change, and usually they don't like changing the target locations drastically. So if you've been to that match before, um, you kind of got an idea where the targets are. You kind of got an idea of what the wind's doing. I mean, you can get a pretty good mental picture of what you're going to experience that weekend from my experience. Yeah. 
Yeah. I just don't, uh, I try not, I honestly like to be kind of organic about it. I just like to have an idea of like, Hey, this is the major velocity I'm going to have. And then when I show up, I, I kind of, cause I'm going to restart it anyway. So I try not to get too involved in it, but I will, I will like, like Chris is referring to the Idaho match where we're protected. And I used for, especially for like the first shots of the day, like, I knew up on top that it had to be doing something. So I used like, I, I kind of just had a mental picture of like, I remember, I remember about this time, it should be about this mile per hour. And that was able to get me some sort of ballpark. And then I could shoot a stage and say, Oh, that was more, that was less than what I thought. And then use that to go move on from the next stage. And then I could have a mental picture of like, Oh, this looks like it picked up or this didn't type deal. All right, let's get this to the next one. What's harder, lots of mirage or lots of wind? Chad. <laughs> uh, I'm ready. Go. Oh, this is a pretty simple answer. Um, lots of wind. Lots of wind is harder for me. I don't, I'm very curious to see what Morgan's answer is going to be. So my experience with mirage is, yeah, it can be hard to see the target, but um, – you're and hard to see your impacts quite honestly, but, um, usually you're zeroing and, and spotting in the same condition that you're actually shooting in during the day. So I really don't stress out about how the mirage may or may not move my bullet. I just, I, I let it tell me based on impacts, like wh what it's doing. Uh, mirage does not stress me out. I'm able to, you know, deal with it, cut through it as much as I can with the optic and, uh, but, but wind on the other hand, especially in terrain that I'm not used to, I mean, I'm not going to say it stresses me out. It's just a little bit more unpredictable. So that's all I got for that. So yeah, Morgan jump in. I have no idea the answer to this one. It kind of just depends. <laughs> uh, I, I like, I like what I'm shooting now for Mirage scenarios. Um, I usually see elevation and that, that seems to be pretty tough. Um, Mirage is, but I'm very comfortable in the wind. Uh, so I don't mind the wind and I've gotten comfortable in the Mirage. If I was, I've lost more, I've lost more to Mirage. How about that? Not, not to wind. So if that, uh, answers it i guess that's the that's the best answer i can give because i don't know because i mean generally speaking mirage is not that big a deal but it, i've also lost the largest amount of money and i've lost matches um to mirage specifically um which is part of the part of the reason why i've uh decided to change not really i wouldn't say that's all that's really all of it i feel like mainly I just shoot that thing good and I can see everything, whether it's in wind or not. So I'm more comfortable in wind than I am in Mirage. That's interesting. You guys, uh, well, let's, let's talk about it a little bit. Cause, cause to me that, that your answers are curious because they they kind of, even though they fit together, um, it seems like a cool opportunity to talk about. Well, do you have, do you have I think I, I, in my mind, I would think that it's because, uh, 
that's what he shoots more mirage than wind and I shoot more wind than mirage would that would you is that fair yeah I think that's probably fair I mean I I I don't know I think I'm not exposed to like you said I'm not exposed to a lot of the the wind variability that you are and I've shot some matches out west I shot the Hornady match and had a good time out there and uh, you've done I, good I in it though it's not like you've Arizona it's not. match yeah yeah you've done good in yeah it. no it hasn't been bad and, and honestly yeah and that um and that was that foul bore uh finale man i shot really well there i had a couple mag issues but i mean i would have been top 10 if i didn't have a couple mag jams so i was pretty happy with like holding full value 17 mile an hour winds and <laughs> that's uh something i'm not used to doing around here so I, I think I'm comfortable in both. Um, I, I don't think, I don't know. I just haven't had, dude, that Vortex Vengeance match that you were not at, Morgan, that, that match had some of the worst Mirage I've ever seen. And I, Are you holding low? No. No. I, See, I, was I it just, high humidity or not? It was. Yeah, it rained the night before. And then really? And then you didn't have to move anything? No. That's interesting. Not even yeah, shaving the tent. Not even rounded down. No. No. Nope. Morgan, why? Why would he? Why would you shave a tent in Mirage? Like, like, uh, or, or if you let's say you're looking at a target and 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 the Mirage is doing something and then jumping back to center, right? Because because when I think of Mirage, I think it's you know if the wind's right to left or or if, or if it's hot and the Mirage is going up, it usually kind of jumps back to the target. We well, have to think of liquid that, like a prism. Right, so it can, so it can bend, it can bend an image, it can move an image, right? Like when if you're looking into water, so it's actually going to move your. It's a it's a pretty well known thing. Like inferior mirage moves your moves the image that you're looking at up, up and downwind. Like in F class deal, very, like those guys are, I mean they have to hit an X that's a half a minute, you know and put them all in there. And that's what they talk about that it moving, that, that it moves the image up and downwind slightly. So, or whatever. I like, I like, the, I like that you say it's a well-known thing because it's a well-debated thing. I mean, if you look really? at Mirage going down a road, yeah, it's it, the road sagging. It's not lifting. The road is sagging. So my experience has been mixed. So I, I mean, I get, go ahead. I'm just gonna say my my experience. I, I understand what you're saying. I've read the only one published article I could find online on Mirage. It was some like military. I don't know. It was like a three or four page thing. I'll have to look it up and send it to you guys. But yeah. where it says exactly what you're describing. But my experience has been the opposite or mixed. So, so I really, see, and I've I've experienced. Though so every time I've experienced it, like in Georgia, I shot it a lot, and I know in Georgia. Like you better be thinking about your elevate. You you better be thinking about going over top of plates. And as soon as you start seeing yourself well, high, start shading low and you start watching for elevation on those plates. The thing that gave me the confidence in this match was that I zeroed in pretty heavy mirage. So I knew my zero was right where so it was going to be. When maybe, I had the maybe you were zeroed. Maybe. Yeah, exactly. Maybe you just, I had a mirage zero. You had the, you had, you were, you were already zeroed a 10th low and didn't even know it. Yep. Hey, Roger, I like it. I like it. So, it, was, but it worked I, out well for me. The the AG Cup, the one I say I lost a lot of money. I lost uh, like 
the AG Cup, if you throw out a couple of stages, I was right up there. Um, not not the one with, with where oh, you yeah, won, the one out. before. No, no, the one where before. I'm I, I I shouldn't say it that way. I'm just saying the one where Austin won. It was it was just one of those deals where if you saw where you hit, um, and could and could re- realize like, oh frick, we're going over top of these plates. Like we were all going high, um, because I figured out that I was going high, and then I and then after talking later with people. Um, they're all, everybody was going high and, uh, and I've always going high that match too. Yeah. And see, I feel like in Georgia for something, maybe it's just Georgia. I don't know. Maybe it has to be that much humidity to really make a difference. Because if I see that same mirage out here and I hold low, I'm going to miss low. But if I go out there, I know if I see that type of mirage, I'm going to miss high. Um, and so I don't know. It's an interesting thing. I think the, that in high, high humidity and heavy, heavy mirage, you're going to go like that. I've talked, I've talked to F class guys, I guess. And that's what they always talk about. That, that that's what they see is the guys that shoot on paper at a thousand, um, in a, a lot of heavy mirage. That's what they end up seeing. So that's, that's what I'm It's not that I don't trust. It's not that I don't trust what people say. It's that I don't trust what people say. I know. I understand if that, what you're if saying. That makes, if that makes sense. I guess sense. I'm like, saying I'm trusting, but then I've also, in my experience, that's what I've seen. All right. Well, I, the hard thing is it's just so hard to quantify. That's the that's why there's no... 100%. There's, there's, yeah. So I, I recognize it's a problem. Like, all I can say is the experience that I've had. It's hasn't. It's been a problem for me resolving the target, yes, but it hasn't been a problem for me with elevation, and that's just my personal experience now that being said the last match i was at uh, in georgia the last match i won in georgia at cool acres uh that match i did not have any elevation it was a lot of barrage but i didn't have a ton of elevation i would uh, now i was watching for it though so i was looking i just i'm just i try to be more aware and then and not be afraid to correct there's well, a lot of times that your elevation see. attempt. Yeah. Yeah. I always figure shaving a tenth or rounding down won't, won't uh, kill you, but it might save you. Heck yeah. That ex- that's a good point. I mean, your velocity is never going to go down over the course of a weekend, you know, and yeah, then you got exactly. Mirage on top of it. Like why not round down? That's what I always, I tell people in Mirage round down. Round Who it. cares? Round down. Yeah. Uh, and, I, I don't do it all the time, but I, I will be looking for the opportunity to do it. How about that? So, sorry. No, man, I think it's awesome. I, th- I mean, it, like the, 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 the themes and styles of, of your guys' podcast, like I think you should both think about doing an episode on Mirage. Yeah. And you should both think about doing an episode on Wind. And just to lead off some things that like I don't feel like I'm not – perfectly comfortable on my podcast talking about because I don't have the experience you guys do at the events you guys do. But the question of um, making your initial wind plan for a wide span and you know, versus a troop line that's straight out, uh, uh, you know, I think the, to me, the hardest thing to do would be to have small targets, say six targets in a 180 degree field of fire and carry your wind hold from one to the next because the angle and the speed matter so much, but 
if your initial angle or speed is off, carrying it to the next target can be complicated, right? Yeah, we talked you, about this then. Yeah, so but but I think that the the realm of discussion for this, you know, I mean, it, w- it would be cool if you if you interviewed Brian Litz because the data and the science of that is is interesting. Uh, Emil's talked a little bit about it, but good shooters are able to do it more often than not. Like you guys, I've seen John Pinch do it. I've seen Morgan do it. Um, it would be cool to hear people talk about like, all right, you know, exactly. Uh, one, one of you mentioned plugging in uh, stuff to your, your Kestrels. I, mine doesn't have like a range thing, um, but having sectors or if do you, do you pre-program in your angles of fire. Uh, but, but what, what gets me, um, I'm sure I could sit down and try to work it out, but you know, not only are you battling wind speed, but you're battling the azimuth or the, the barrier, the angle of fire to that wind speed. But then when you carry it a hundred degrees in another direction, if either of those variables is off. Um, you know, you, you're going to miss the target. Especially I mean, you don't really have two variables. Like, yes, you have to capture all the angles, but if you think about it, and Morgan can call call me on this, but if you have all the angles captured to your targets, and you're off on the wind speed, or you're off on the very original angle of the wind direction, like it's very, it's the same thing. Whether you call it ten miles an hour and you have it the wind angle wrong, or, you, or it's five miles an hour and the wind angle is right, it's the same result. So the solver doesn't really care. Like if you, if you create brackets based on the target direction in four different angles, and then you create brackets based on speed at, at 10 miles an hour, seven miles an hour and four miles an hour, like it doesn't really matter because the solver is going to do the ratios. I don't know if that makes sense or not, but, but I understand, if you're starting so angle, I understand I what, what you're, you're saying? saying too. If it's but, in a, if the cone yes. of fire is in the same wind direction, but what if your, what if your first target, uh, is past that zero? So, so now you've got right to left wind on your first target and left to right wind. Yeah. Okay. On your next one. So what he's saying, yeah, exactly. What he's saying is, is think about having, let's just call it three targets: one at thirty, one at sixty, one at one eighty. Right. So that means, and then you, and we're assuming when we walk up there, the the wind is at 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 zero, but turns out that it's actually coming from 45. So in between uh, 30 and 60 ish. Well, now what, now what yeah. do you do? Cause now, that's now worse, instead of heads, yeah. Cause now you have left to right <laughs> wind, wind at the last two, but at the first one you have right to left. wind. And so now what the frick is going on? And then, yeah. and then, and then the other thing is if, if it's over here and it's and you think it's coming from 180, but it's coming up from here, well, then what happens is, is you thought 30 was going to be like a kind of a quartering wind and you thought this one would be, and you thought 60 would be kind of this similar, but all of a sudden now it's over here and you have a bunch of left or right on, on, on the 180. And now 60 is your largest wind call when before it was something different. You know what I'm saying? So it all of a sudden it changes which one is which I see what he's saying, but you have to just be able to, in my mind, I almost map them out in my brain and kind of go through these because a lot of times, uh, especially when I shoot in high, a train, uh, I use the train a big time. Uh, me and you shot 
uh, Chris, we, we let's go back to the deer stage, right? At Ruger PRC. You, were you at the Ruger match last year, Chad? No, um, you're talking, which, where was that at? Uh, in Cameo? No, I've never been there. Okay. Well, never mind then, but Chris, you were there. Uh, mm-hmm. Basically, it's a similar thing. There was, there was uh, targets probably spanned 100 degrees, uh, not quite 120, maybe 120. Uh, and there was targets over here three targets in the middle and one off the left and one off the right. Okay. And, uh, the wind for us would either come from like right up, um, the can up the draw going from our right to left, or sometimes it would come from down the Canyon left to right. Cause there was like almost this little, uh, little draw in the middle that it could blow up from right to left. And I don't know how, but it would go from like a, a, eight mile an hour left to right to a 20 mile an hour right to left. It was the weirdest thing. And it was like, and I'm not kidding on that stage. I had anywhere from three to 20, uh, on the thing. It was like some of the switchiest crazy thing I'd ever seen. Like most of the time I, I, I refrain from saying switchy because switchy is generally not a huge, it's usually like it at the velocity averages out, but direction doesn't over the distance is my general thought process. Like sometimes you can get that, that change in direction, but the velocity largely is going to average out. Um, but in this case, that was not the case. So anyways, but so if you, if it was coming right to left, your first target was your, was your high wind, but all of a sudden, if it came the other direction, that was zero wind. And so it was like, and then all, and then the one over here became the high wind. So it was, it, that's what was weird is it wasn't like you could just like flip your wind call and do that. And so a lot of times I would write it down both ways and I would use the terrain because I figured that the terrain would have to dictate it some, right? That it's going to have to either come up the canyon and go like this. And then if it comes down the canyon, it's going to have to come down the canyon like this. So then I would write them both down and have both extremes written down and have thought about it a little bit. And then if I saw something different, Chris, then I would try to like think about it, but it ended up working out pretty good for me, but I think I got, well, to like to channel my channel, my inner Tate, you know, someone's figuring it out and, and it tends to be the top shooters. That, and that, that's why I want to ask you guys about it. Cause you know, like everybody can come up with a peanut gallery answer, but you guys legitimately actually shoot those and get high hit percentages. Even though to me, that seems like the, like the ultimate in terms of, of skill and, and, and adjusting. So, so I'm curious, like keep, keep thinking about it because I, I think that answer itself could separate, you know, the very best, like the guys that we want to send overseas to compete internationally, you know, they're the guys that can figure out those complicated scenarios. If they're trying to put together a course of fire that really tests the very best of the best on small targets and complex courses of fire which which i know they're trying to develop a way to do that now, to me that seems like um like the pinnacle of you know marksmanship because you know the targets are small <laughs> you know it's not like you're shooting you know massive massive things and then just able to adjust but but um yeah i do think that there's a lot of room of error but the best shooters are figuring it out and um I, yeah, I like to hear what you guys have to say. You know what? Uh, 24 hours from now, you're going to have another member of your family like 
like breathing fresh air and, and uh, hanging out and stuff like that. So we should probably get you some sleep. Um, and, <laughs> yeah. and we've been, I've had you guys on for two hours, but if, once, once we get this kind of posted, which we'll probably post tomorrow, um, and, uh, that stuff we can, um, debrief and kind of modify and refine the style. Maybe we could have de- like debate-a-thons, uh, more often than not, because it's fun to have, have you guys on. Debate-a-thons. That's a good one. I like, I like this. I, I, I thought it was a good format. Yeah. yeah. I like giving each person the time and then having a little discussion afterwards that brings you into it. So I thought that was a good idea. I think, I think it'd be cool. I mean, there's only a handful of guys that, that I think that everybody wants to hear from and, and you two are in that handful of, of, of guys. So it's cool to be able to ask you questions and just hear what you have to say. You agreed more than I thought you would on some things and, and then uh, disagreed less about, which, which I think is pretty cool. And I appreciate that, um, you know, all the answers come back to practicing and thinking about what you're doing and, and that it, it sounds like the message coming from you guys is that literally people can improve and be better. You know, it's not, it's not a secret and you guys are really open about sharing and talking about what works. And, and I, and that's one thing that, you know, I don't, I don't like about, um, you know, just, just some, uh, information sources because, you know, it just doesn't seem, it doesn't seem realistic that, that you guys have, have always been open about, um, you put in a lot of work, you care a lot about your performance, you think about it, you, you minimize things that could have negative consequences so that you could increase the positive outcomes. And, and, um, that's something that everybody can learn from. So ho- hopefully, you know, I'm going to have to listen to this four or five times. And, and I, you yeah, know, I, was, I mean, I, you know, well, I, I feel like we barely scratched the surface on the topics that we had picked to discuss. And we honestly, we left out a couple that I'm pretty sure that Morgan and I might slightly disagree on. So we should maybe come back and do this again and talk about. He wants those. to talk about dry fire so bad. <laughs> dry fire and tripod and a few other things. So yeah, let's let's actually. Do that I think time. I think we I, I revisited that Chad and I think the dry fire. Okay. Uh, okay. Good. The the tripod. I think we're better. We're closer than you think. Okay. Well, let's save it for another time. Yeah. I've got, I've got some of these uh, already marked off, but, but at like, at like two hours and then just knowing that tomorrow's going to be a big day uh, for Morgan. And then I've got uh, some of my family's coming back from, from sports practice. So my house is going to get really noisy, but uh, I don't want to make too many excuses, but I also like leaving the door open to continue to do these because it's pretty fun. And it seems like, um, more questions are going to come out of it right than we went into it with and that's going to make it really easy to to perpetuate so um it just you know before we split like if you guys want what uh sponsors or websites or how to reach you guys or you know whatever let's do like a 90s we'll do the final stage is is just um you know how how do people connect to you and hear you and find you and, and all that good stuff. So, uh, or if they want you to spin them up a barrel or if they want Morgan to link them up with Garrett, or I don't even know what, <laughs> but, uh, let's go, uh, Chad, how about all your, all of your, your infos? All right. Yeah. So, um, if you guys don't know, um, I have a company five by five precision. I do, um, 
uh, rifle barrels and gunsmithing. Um, I also have some things I make. Uh, the Crusher timer is one of my brainchilds. Uh, it's an onboard rifle mounted timer. Um, I also have a podcast with my best friend, uh, Francis Cologne, um, who just won the Collis K&M match a couple weeks ago. So I'm super stoked to, to be next to him on the wall of champions up there. That was, that was an awesome weekend. Um, a ton of sponsors support me. Um, I, I guess that's not really why we're here to, to talk about that stuff, but I'm really appreciative for all of them. Um, I'll just name a few loophole, Bart line barrels, um, Lone Peak actions, uh, trigger tech, uh, Lapua burger, Vitavori, and, um, masterpiece arms. And I'm hoping I'm not leaving anybody out there. So, um, appreciate you for having me on the podcast, Chris and Morgan for the late night conversations. And I uh, hope tomorrow goes smooth for you, Morgan. Thanks to my yes, wife man. as well. <laughs> All right. Your turn. So, um, yeah, I, I got that mythology marksmanship podcast. You can find that on Spotify, uh, Apple podcast, Google play. I think it's a couple other places, but, I don't really know. Uh, and then basically wherever you get podcasts and then, uh, you can, if you have any questions or want to get a hold of me, uh, Facebook or Instagram is good. I try to get back to people on their questions. I'm not always great about it, but I try to copy and paste. If you have a question, uh, into a note on my iPad and then I can hopefully visit it on, on the podcast. Um, and if not, I'll, I'll try to get back to you on, on social media, but, uh, I'm not always perfect about that, but I try. And, uh, as far as sponsors go, um, I, 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 I will forget somebody. I know that, but, um, let's attempt, uh, Leopold, Lone Peak, Priest Precision, uh, Benchmark Barrels, uh, Masterpiece Arms. I don't know if I said them yet. Uh, Vitivori, Burger, Lapua, Alpha. Uh, that's a funny one, but uh, Alpha ma- uh, is, uh, makes my brass. I guess it's not funny, but it's funny that I said Lapua. Uh, but uh, they, anyways, uh, let's see what else we got. Armageddon gear. Uh, shoot, I know I forgot like half of them. But, uh, you're popular, yeah. I can't remember. Oh, Anarchy Outdoors is a new one. They they, uh, they started to help me out um, with a couple of things. There's a local company. If you guys are looking for anything like as far as like Ruger parts or anything is like uh, they have like clothing, all kinds of stuff. They're super good guys, shooters um, that own the company and they're right down the road for me. But yeah. That's awesome. No, I mean, it's, it's, I think it's, it's it's always cool to if if um, yeah, give them a shout out. You have to right because it's a small industry, but but some companies go way out of their way to provide massive support to competitions and to growing the support and supporting oh, yeah. shooters that are at the top. So, like, I, you know, that there's something to be said for shout outs and and also making people understand that that things would not be the way they are now if, if companies weren't doing what they do and it, it hopefully it'll improve. Dude, I will, 
I will say like one of the best and most exciting things for us um, is that those companies like ask us for input. And that is so freaking exciting when we get to have design input on a thing like a chassis or a scope or anything in between. It's like, to me as an engineer, like that's exciting. Yeah. What's really exciting is if they listen. That's pretty neat. They take, yeah, some of them do. They take your advice, not mine. Just kidding. I'm just kidding. Come on. I I try, but and and there's some things, but but yes, yeah, so I know. I think you're right. When we do get to put give input on stuff, and to like just like, hey, look, I'd love to see this, and then to see it actually happen, because I have seen seen several things like, um, like like com- having companies that are smart enough to ask the question for one, and then and then companies that are smart enough to listen. Like that's a big deal. And there's a lot of them in this industry and I'm lucky that I'm able to work with so many of them. It's pretty cool. What's yeah, that? That would be cool too for, um, I don't know if it would, it wouldn't really fit the style of mine, even though I like totally appreciate some of that. And some, some companies that I am associated with, but some that I'm not, um, it's amazing what people are doing. Uh, what some companies are doing. You hear stories about, um, listening and working with shooters to actually expand stuff versus just making products that they could kind of push out and, and sell to the bigger shoot. The bigger shooting world seems like it has way more stuff that you just kind of scratch your head and go, "What in the world is that garbage?" And then, but I the think precision. eventually you see you in the end the stuff that's actually well thought out ends up winning, right? Like what it, it ends sure. up lasting for a lot longer. Like you look at like a night force scope, right? And, uh, like, I, and I, I'm not saying that cause I'm biased towards them, but they, but they've been around for so long and they've had a very similar design for so long cause it was smart and it was good. And they, they probably listened to the right people. And I feel like that's going to be kind of how the Mark fives ends up. I mean, that Mark five is not going anywhere cause that thing is just, it just works. They might tweak the design or something based on um, people, but they've been really good about like saying, Hey shooters, what do you think? What do you think it worked? What works? What doesn't work? And they've been able to incorporate some really good stuff into that. And uh, as far as like designing scope, then no, but like reticle and stuff like that, they've definitely um, been very re- responsive and and made something that's going to be around in, in the industry for a long time. Like an MPA, like same thing. Yeah. As people NBA. get better, they're going to be more discriminate because as shooters get better, you realize what what's the gear and what's the skill. And if the gear fails the test, you just throw it away, right? So um, the better shooters get, the higher quality the equipment's going to have to be just simply because actually shoot, you know, people will know better. And, and at some point, like, you know, I, I think there's some stuff out there that, you know, people don't know enough or they don't know any better to know what's going wrong and they just blame it on shooter error. Uh, but, but yeah, I think at least in the precision kind of the core of it, all, most equipment is all pretty good. I, I haven't, uh, yeah. cause it couldn't survive otherwise. I, you know, I haven't been in this forever, but at least I've been in it long enough to see that, uh, that, uh, this game has driven like any, a whole industry to improve, right? Like the shooting, the weapons that are made now that you can go buy from the store. I mean, there's something that now you can go take to a match and actually compete 
compete with and they're better than some of the rifles we had when I started. I remember what people were using. Like now you have off the shelf options that are better than probably what I started with. I mean, and so I think we may underestimate how much um, companies and stuff look to this and then um, which ends up, you know, and I think those things end up being the things that you don't end up scratching your head about. Like you look at, you look at like uh, the Savage, um, that 110 BA match rifle or whatever you like, it's in an MDD chassis with a, a heavy barrel and all that stuff. And I was like, man, that thing wouldn't be that bad. And I know Matt, Matt Allwine shoots it and he does just fine with that thing. Like he, he'll, yeah. he'll spin a yarn and tell you it's, it's the rifle all day long, but then turn around and be like, nah, I'm just kidding. It's fine. <laughs> It's just the trigger, you know? So, like, I mean, I, I, yeah. I'm just saying, I think, I think that, uh, uh, this industry is, is getting bigger. And whether or not it gets huge, it still drives what we see in the public market or whatever. Right. All right. Well, sick. That seems like a good time to sound off and, um, and then we'll touch base. We'll see how this sounds and what some of the feedback is. 